Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We'll be tackling all of 1 Kings chapter 4 this time around. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon was asked by God, uh, what would you like for me to give you? And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God said, okay, I'll give you wisdom. I'll make you the wisest man on the earth. And I will also give you what you didn't ask for. I will give you more riches and honor than any other king of your time. We began to see that wisdom on display there at the end of chapter 3 in the famous story about the two women who had each had a child, one of which had died during the night. Both women were claiming that the living child was theirs. No witnesses uh, were available besides the two women themselves. Uh, it was a seemingly impossible situation, but Solomon was able to figure out who the real mother was. Well, in chapter 4, we have a very different scenario. Lots of information about Solomon's court and the administration of his kingdom. Very practical details about what life in Solomon's reign was like. But I agree with Dale Ralph Davis, who says that this whole chapter as well is a demonstration of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. But here, that wisdom is demonstrated in the administration of the kingdom, in the orderly way that Solomon's kingdom is run. And so we're going to see how Solomon's kingdom was ordered, how it was run here in, in 1 Kings chapter 4. And there's a, there's a hint that this is uh, what 1 Kings 4 uh, would rightly be about. Later in 1 Kings chapter 10, in another famous story, where the Queen of Sheba hears about Solomon's wisdom and comes to Israel to see for herself what Solomon's kingdom is like and, and to check out and see if he is truly as wise as all the rumors say that he is. And when she sees uh, Solomon's kingdom and, and asks Solomon questions, uh, what it says in 1 Kings 10, 4, and 5 is that when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, note that, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So there the emphasis, or at least part of the emphasis, is on, again, the way Solomon's kingdom was ordered, the way his officials were seated, the way his servants were dressed, the, uh, the food that was provided for his table. And so uh, we're going to see in chapter 4 the way God's wisdom that he gave to Solomon was displayed in the ordering of Solomon's kingdom. So let's jump in to 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, beginning of verse 1. It says, King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials. Azariah the son of Zadok was the priest, Elihoref and Ahijah the sons of Shisha were secretaries, Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilud was recorder, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was in command of the army, Zadok and Abiathar were priests, Azariah the son of Nathan was over the officers, Zabud the son of Nathan was priest and king's friend, Ahishar was in charge of the palace, and Adoniram the son of Abda was in charge of the forced labor. The first thing that we're told there is that Solomon was king over all Israel. Uh, remember, that was not true of the beginning of David's reign. At the beginning, David was 
only king over Judah and uh, maybe Benjamin. Uh, but l later, uh, all of Israel was brought under David's reign. And now we're told for Solomon, he's ruling the entire nation of Israel. He's, he's king over all of Israel. And then we're told about some of his officials. Um, we've already met Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. He was the one who carried out some of Solomon's orders in uh, dealing with some of the issues left over from David's reign. He's been appointed the commander of the army in uh, place of Joab, who was the commander during David's reign. Um, Zadok is now priest. It still mentions Abiathar the priest, which you might recall back at the end of chapter 2, or the middle of chapter 2 perhaps, we were told that Abiathar was uh, no longer priest. Uh, and so perhaps his mention here is not to say that he actually ended up remaining a priest, but just acknowledging at the beginning of Solomon's reign he was a priest and then later was removed. So those are his uh, sort of his court, his uh, cabinet, if you will. Those are his uh, head officials who are helping to administrate his kingdom. And then in verse 7 it says, Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year. Now, in a little while, we're going to see what a significant and potentially daunting task this was. But for now, we're just gonna to be told who these people are and sort of where, where some of them live. And uh, each one of these, there's 12 of them, um, each one of them is going to be responsible for providing food for the king's household for a month. So, of course, 12 months in the year, 12 individuals, each responsible for one month. And uh, it says, verse 8, these were their names. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Makaz, Sha'albim, Beth-Shemesh, and Alon Beth-Hanan, Ben-Hesed and Eruboth, to him belonged Soko and all the land of Hefer, Ben Abinadab in Naphath Dor, he had Tephath, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Ba'anah, the son of Ahilud, in Ta'anak, Megiddo, and all Bet-Shan, that is beside Zerthan, below Jezreel, and from Bet-Shan to Abel-Mecholah, as far as the other side of Jachmim. Ben Geber and Ramoth-Gilead, he had the villages of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead. And he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, 60 great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Iddo in Mahanaim, Ahimaz in Naphtali, he had taken Basemath, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Ba'anah, the son of Hushai in Asher and Baaloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Parua in Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah and Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri in the land of Gilead. The country of Sihon, king of the Ammonites, excuse me, Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over the land. So there's the list of all the people, the 12 individuals, who are responsible for providing the food for the king's household one month out of each year. Now there's something really significant that happens in verses 20 and 21 that would be easy to miss, but it's important for us to see. Verse 20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. Now when we hear that, some a little bell ought to go off in our head. Where have I 
heard something like that before. What we're being told is that God has fulfilled, in part at least, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham in the reign of Solomon. We are so prone to sort of segment the Bible. We read about Abraham, and then you know we read about Paul, and we read about Solomon, and we read one of the Gospels, and we read, and it's fine to sort of go back and forth, but we need to know how all the pieces of the Bible fit together. And so when we're reading about the reign of Solomon, I said before, uh, God is fulfilling his promise to David, what we call the Davidic covenant, in the reign of Solomon. And that's true and massively important. But God has not left off the promises he made to Abraham so long ago, but he is fulfilling those promises as well in the reign of Solomon. So uh, consider Genesis 22, verse 17, where God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. There's that phrase. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. So God promised to Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 22, he, he used the language of as many uh, as the sand on the seashore. And so here in verse 20 of 1 Kings 4, we're told Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea, meaning God has kept his promise to Abraham. And then he says they ate and drank and were happy. So things were good in Solomon's kingdom, which you would expect since God has given Solomon such wisdom. You would expect such a wise man to rule in a way that brings uh, peace and prosperity and all the rest. All right, verse 21, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, here's another fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. Uh, in Genesis 15:18, God told Abraham, on that day, or it tells us, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, and so here's what he said to Abraham, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So from the Euphrates River to the Nile River, that's the main river in Egypt, of course. From the Euphrates River to the Nile River, that's the land God promised to give to Abraham. And here, and that's bigger than what we normally think of as the land of Canaan. Here it says Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, that's on the sort of Mediterranean coast, uh, and to the border of Egypt, so down all the way toward Egypt. So um, again, he, this, is a, this is a step toward the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. Again, Dale Ralph Davis, um, who's really helpful on these things, he pointed out uh, this means God is fulfilling both the what, he called, what we call the seed promise and the land promise to Abraham here. 
Um, and so uh, that's a significant reminder, right? There's a lot of time between Abraham and Solomon, a significant reminder that God keeps his promises even over long spans of time, right? We are often impatient and we want God to do uh, things right now, right away, very quickly. Um, and when uh, he's not doing things on our time schedule, we might be tempted to think that he's not doing what he said he would do. Uh, but God always does what he says he will do. But um, he doesn't always do it on our schedule. But he does always keep his word. He is faithful. He always keeps his promise. And by the way, this is also an, uh, a sign or an indication that God is keeping his promise to Solomon. Because remember, he told Solomon, I'm going to make you, um, I'm going to give you more riches and more honor than all the other kings of your day. And what's happening here? The kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, to the border of Egypt, are all under Solomon's rule and are bringing tribute to Solomon all the days of his life. So they are honoring Solomon uh, as a great king and he's ruling over them. Right? So we see um, many, many reminders in just those couple of verses of God's faithfulness, right? That God keeps his promises, that he is trustworthy, that we can believe him and believe that he will do what he says. Now, moving on to verse 22, verse says, Solomon's provision for one day, okay, note that, not one month. We saw the guys who are in charge of providing uh, a food for Solomon's court for one month. This is what uh, was provided for one day. Solomon's provision for one day, was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsah to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. There's those officers again. They let nothing be lacking, barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. Now, I know none of you uh, measure your food in cores, neither do I. Um, but uh, if you're like me, you have a note in your Bible that tells you how much a core is. A core is 220 liters. And so if you do the math, this is saying that for every day, Solomon's table required 6,600 liters of flour, 13,200 liters of meal, as well as the 10 oxen, the 20 cattle, the 100 sheep, and other animals that it mentions, deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fowl. So that was a daunting task to provide 30 days worth 
of that amount of food each year for Solomon's table. No wonder he had 12 different men who were in charge of making provision for his table uh, one month at a time. That would have been an overwhelming task. It also tells us of the the peace that uh, the people of Israel experienced during Solomon's reign. Um, Verse 25 says, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. So that's sort of like north to south, covering the whole country from Dan to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. So everyone lived in safety. There was peace. There was prosperity. Again, this is something else we mentioned earlier. Del Roth Davis uh, highlights this as well. Um, Help me uh, see more of that. And it's really pretty clear here in the text, right, that um, these uh, these days of Solomon's reign were days of peace, days of prosperity, um, and uh, days of plenty, right? Uh, Solomon, we're also told, had 40,000 stalls of horses, 12,000 horsemen. Now, this might be a hint of a problem. Uh, It's hard to be certain because most of this chapter is meant to highlight uh, the good things that are going on in Solomon's kingdom. But we have this verse in Deuteronomy 17, or really a set of verses in Deuteronomy 17, that give instructions for the kings of Israel. And we're most familiar with the, the verse in that passage that says, the kings are not supposed to acquire for themselves too many wives. But the verse right before that says uh, that he must not acquire many horses for himself. That's Deuteronomy 17, 16. Um, Is Solomon violating that command? Does he have too many horses? It's hard to be sure. Um, But maybe that's a hint that uh, Solomon is going beyond what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just fine. Um, depends on how you read that verse in Deuteronomy and depends on how you read this verse here and, uh, and so on. So uh, verse uh, 27 uh, highlights, um, again, these uh, servants who brought food every month. <clears throat> verse 28 uh, indicates that they also brought stuff for uh, the horses, barley and straw for the horses. Um, and so this was a, a well-oiled machine, we would say today. It was a well-administrated kingdom. Now, here's uh, what I think is the most interesting part of the chapter, uh, verse 29 to 34. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Himon, Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. All right, so um, here we're told Solomon, uh, it says, was given, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So Solomon has had this almost unbelievably broad mind and was able to understand more than anyone else. Uh, Verse 30 says, His wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. So presumably those are places where um, 
people would have reputations for wisdom, some of the wisest people on the earth, just like uh, we still think today about the wisdom of the Greeks because of the philosophers like uh, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and so on, um, that here is saying, you know, the wisdom of the East, uh, the wisdom of Egypt, Solomon surpassed them both. It mentions some specific people who we may not be familiar with, but apparently were famous for their wisdom. He was wiser even than them we're told, and his, it says his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So all the nations around Israel were hearing about this wisdom of Solomon. That's why uh, the Queen of Sheba will come later to visit and see for herself to see if the rumors and the reputation are true. And then it says, verse 32, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005, right? How many Proverbs have you written, right? How, how many of us can um, come up with a way of saying something that's so good and so helpful and so um, balanced that it it's worth putting in writing and preserving or, or that it's easy for people to remember or um, something like that. And not, not necessarily saying that all of Solomon's Proverbs are recorded in, uh, in Scripture or that all of them were, were remembered. Maybe some of them weren't. Um, but he came up with 3,000 Proverbs. Um, he wrote over a thousand songs. I mean, think about even the, the best and most prolific songwriters. How, how many songs do they write? Um, a thousand songs. Verse 33, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And so his wisdom covers various aspects of creation. He's not interested just in animals or interested uh, just in trees and plants, but he's interested in all kinds of things. And he's uh, he knows enough about them that he's able to speak about them. Right, and then finally, verse 34, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So not only was Solomon so wise and so famous for his wisdom that people came from all over the place to hear him, but there were people who presumably couldn't get to where Solomon was, so they would go to people who had been with Solomon to hear secondhand what Solomon had said. So great was his reputation for wisdom. So this is another call here in Scripture for us to avail ourselves of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. And the best way we can do that is by reading the books that Solomon wrote and the books that tell us about Solomon's life and reign. Of course, we're doing that here in 1 Kings, reading about the reign of Solomon. We can do that by reading the Proverbs, by reading Song of Solomon, by reading Ecclesiastes. All three of those books were written by Solomon himself and are um, inspired by God, a, a part of God giving us access to the wisdom that he gave to Solomon. And of course, ultimately, this points us to Jesus, who is the only one who is wiser than Solomon because he's God in the flesh. The Bible says in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so uh, we need him, right? We need to uh, 
read the stories of his life that we have in the Gospels. We need to read his words and meditate on them and and think about how to apply them. We need to live in accord with the wisdom that God has given us, uh, live in accord with the wisdom um, that God demonstrated to us um, in his own son, again, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need wisdom if we are going to live well in God's world. And Solomon shows us and tells us what that wisdom looks like and ultimately points us to the wisest of all, God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ.